Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which takes us through the four food moments from the books of our favourite A-lister food writers. I'm Julie Smith and this week I'm in Rome talking the A to Z of pasta with Guardian Italian food columnist and multi-award winning author Rachel Roddy. The sort of 50 shapes were sort of, yes, 50, 50 sort of insights, 50 details put together to have a picture of Italy and of pasta. Rachel has been in Rome for 16 years now and although she has a Sicilian partner and a nine-year-old child she's a professional observer of italian life i asked her if she always felt a little on the outside looking in oh ab- absolutely you know i mean one's always a barrier is is my italian which is fine i mean it should be much better for 16 years and um, and still feel frustrated by my communication so i think that that is a sort of constant barrier for me um and also can sort of work in an advantageous way in the sense that and this is going to sound sort of so corny but you know certainly around cooking sometimes you know language and words can get in the way I think early early on when I was sort of cooking with people and really couldn't understand there was a different maybe level of understanding um and I think still that exists um also I'm I have a tendency to talk too much it doesn't stop me talking in it especially when I'm nervous so actually often with Italian I will it's a sort of it forces me just to say actually I can't communicate this in the way I'd like to so um yeah that keeps me outside and I have a nine-year-old child who is half Italian so and that whole world of school actually and that different level of engagement with the country um that I haven't found straightforward has also made me feel an outsider although I feel very sort of integrated I feel incredibly local I mean I always have I think you know as humans we're quite good at making ourselves feel local and Italy's um as well as lots of other countries but I only know Italy is quite good in the sense that you can feel local go back to the same shop twice and you you know you feel so I I think I felt local since the first day I was here um my sort of feelings of otherness have you know shift and shift and change depending on on um, what's happening in life. And you use the ingredients to tell stories. With your Guardian column, there are always little tales of things that you've noticed. Is that how it works for you? You go down to the market at Testaccio and you're, you're, you, know, you notice something and you, you write about it or you go in through an ingredient but tell a story. Is You're constantly on watch. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I suppose, you know, around, around the sort of storytelling, I, I, you know, as a writer, as you know, as I, I'm quite self-critical. Um, and, you know, I've got these sort of two voices on my shoulder, sort of, what the fuck are you going on about, woman? No one wants to hear about you and you're, you know. But actually, I do think, you know, stories are the best way in, aren't they? I mean, what, you know, I, I do tell a story about, you know, I don't know, um, a pot of yogurt falling on the floor or, 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 you know, a sort of interaction with somebody or a or a sort of particularly comic carrot um but um but they're sort of nice ways aren't they to sort of, as a reader i've always known it's the sort of it's the sort of show don't tell i'm going to sound like sort of gcse creative writing but it is true isn't it and i and i, I was sort of remind it remind it all the time you know why why the sort of story is the best way in um to sort of understanding something and it, it so often is isn't it you know what do we remember yesterday i was trying to sort of write about a restaurant and and I was trying to be all lofty and I was trying to be a restaurant review, reviewer, which I'm not and not very good at. But, you know, I, I haven't been out to eat and I went to this restaurant. And you know when you, you're excited to go out and you get goosebumps as you go in the door? The sort of thrill <laughs> of going in a restaurant, isn't it? You know, you really... And it was sort of slightly air-conditioned, so I sort of got a waft of air-conditioning. But 
when I sort of thought about what I wanted to write, I wanted to write that. You know, I was really excited to go to this restaurant because we've not been out. And it's a delicious restaurant. And, you know, the first sip of drink. And so I suppose when I write, that, that's the thing that I would like to read. So I try and, I try and write what I, I would like to read. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a form of dreaming your way into something. But at the same time, it's, you know, a journalist, a storyteller is always on the outside. You're always the observer. So there's that strange paradox, isn't there, where you're trying to get that immersive experience. You're dreaming your way in, you're pulling your reader with you, but while standing out on the outside and observing the bigger picture. And I, the reason I, I, I say that is because that's exactly what you've done with your book. You've, you say that you're telling everything that you know about the Italy that you've been observing for the last 16 years in this A to Z of pasta, this jigsaw. And the parts paint the picture, and it's your picture. That's that's such an interesting way in. It's dealing with the tiny, tiny little details, each type of pasta, but pulling out this telescope picture that you're presenting is your observation of a different country. Was that your intention? Is that how you see it? Oh, it's lovely. Well, you've put it, you've put it much better than I could. That's such a lovely, sort of, hit, lo- so lovely to hear it described like that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, w- there's, there's, there's 1,300 identified pasta shapes. Um, uh, of course, lots of those are historical and certain shapes have lots of names and we sort of know, and I say some of those are historical, but, you know, there's 1,300 identified shapes. So actually, um, picking 50 seemed completely preposterous in the beginning but actually then it seemed you know I, I what it would be impossible I mean there is an encyclopedia of pasta actually a great book written by a great food historian but but um but yeah the, the sort of 50 shapes were sort of yes 50 50 sort of insights 50 details in order put together to to yes I suppose have a picture of Italy and of pasta and yes and of course my 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 picture i mean it was it was quite hard this book it was different to my first two books it's less it's less personal although there's plenty of me in it um it's less sort of it, there are stories but it's less sort of memoir isn't it much less narrative it's it's tighter i think but yes the sort of so i feel as if you're sort of dipping into these 50 shapes to to paint a picture of a country it was really rewarding to write i had a great i had a great publisher julia anan was was you know she had so much belief in the project and was such a sort of strong guiding ship in it um and and also just also sort of trusting me to say you know you can because there's so much to say about pasta where do you start and where do you finish mm-hmm. and trusting and that's where the detail came back to me again and again and again i'm constantly overwhelmed by the amount of information about everything yeah. um i feel like i live in a sort of forest of thoughts none of which are very clear so having these shapes as a focus and also having a focus of each shape so for example you know the pishi was i was cooking with a woman in 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 tuscany and they reminded me of sort of snakes and my mixed pasta jar so the jar in my kitchen or one particular pasta shop having a sort of focus all the time for the shapes allowed me to again tell those little stories that i hope made a sort of bigger picture yeah absolutely and you love history anyway you've always called upon uh, you know history and you go right back to horace the latin poet uh you know to to talk about lasagna and and there's a real sense of depth and 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 rootedness which says so much about italian culture um you know it feels like i'm constantly talking to people and writing about how we lost our way in this country and i'm always thinking about how we could 
deal with all the food system issues in this country by borrowing more from the depth of of culinary culture like Italian. And did you find along your way in the story of pasta the real essence of why Italian culture has been so strongly embedded for so long, why every child grows up loving and appreciating and valuing food so that they we don't have the kind of food poverty and I mean culturally food poverty issues that we have in this country what a good question I try and answer it I yeah I mean I touched on things I mean what the thing about pasta of course was and and I was how interconnected we all are I mean of course the story of pasta isn't it it, it is the story of Italy but it's also the story of the world I mean uh, there's a in spaghetti there's a great essay by the food historian Massimo Montanari and he takes spaghetti with tomato sauce the sort of iconic Italian dish to sort of represent that Italian food is all about the other you know tomatoes from the Americas and spaghetti from the Arabs um, you know came together on Italian soil and absolutely that it is an Italian dish but it is also an Arab and an American one you know it's um um, I mean, if one thing I feel I didn't do enough of, um, you know, there's so much sort of inter, inter sort of connecting food history. I do go back sort of 12,000 years to Mesopotamia, but, you know, I, I, that, I did feel a bit like, again, a bit like a GCSE essay, but I hope I touched on sort of how interconnected it all is. And, and then, yes, how it did find sort of home in Italian soil. But even then, you know, there's so much of Italian history which is sort of interconnected. So I, I think I was very aware of wanting it to feel bigger than just Italy, without taking anything away from this this sort of extraordinary patrimony in Italy. It's all tied up. And um, and if anything, I sort of wish I'd do more around Italian food culture. And I think it is, it is interesting. And um, I'm very conscious of sort of idealising it, um, which I don't want to do, because I think it sort of does it a disservice. I think there's lots of problems here. But I do think it was interesting to see in writing the book sort of how recent industrialization is in, in compared to the uk like it's always fascinating to to sort of go back three or four hundred years and realize that you know the italians were eating the same things as the english you know there's ingredients i mean the tomatoes the aubergines the the peppers are all new new immigrants <laughs> you know um it was fascinating to read that probably orecchietti was brought by the french to puglia mm-hmm. um the whole arab history you know the sort of intersection with sort of you know um the spice trails um if anything i i i was anxious that i wasn't doing enough of that um and finding enough in common as well i mean i'm always wanting to sort of make connections with england and 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 the sort of good things that that's why i always come back to english pubs because i just think you know pubs and italian trattorias are are sort of they're the brothers aren't they (laughs) they are they are i mean you know i think you do it very well actually i think that that's what i read through it you know you talk about you know pasta being the story of the domestication of wheat you know civilization is about living off the land but understanding it and making it your own you know you 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 do talk about that and that's of course about everyone you know that's where civilization started by growing wheat and domesticating it and and farms and society built around that and carolyn Steele writes about about that brilliantly in Cytopia. but the difference between here and and where you are is that the story was absolutely embedded in italian culture and has always been but we lost our way through industrialization i mean i know and i'm very aware of utopian idealization of 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 italian cuisine but there is that love and i wonder how we can teach that love if you can teach that love to a society which hasn't been 
hasn't been brought up loving food in the same way. Yeah, or or, or is it also about that the love is there? Um, because I think we all share that, don't we? I mean, I think you know my experience in you, you know of the sort of of the of the sort of pleasure around food. I, I think it's universal. I think what 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 I've I've I'm aware of here. I really get, have to. This is where I have to sort of tell a story. So, but, you know, with my son, you know, see, I think you know, there's so much ritual and and tradition around food um, in Italy, which of course, you know, intersects a bit with nationalism. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, that those very, uh, you know, the so the ways of eating are still very rhythmic and deeply traditional. So, um, so for example, uh, you know, where I live, you know, there's still, the, you know, there's still a sort of bread shop. Um, you know, they 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 have the sort of local bread. They have various, an ordinary bread shop. They have, you know, several breads for over Italy. And their big thing is pizza rossa and pizza bianca. They make really good ones. You know, and the pizza rossa is the sort of thing the kids eat in their, at their 11 o'clock break. And my son's sort of, you know, he's been eating it. And at school, the school dining room is far from perfect. But, you know, they have, you know, they have polpette with, you know, potatoes on a Monday. And they have a sort of, they give them artichokes. The kids all spit them out. Um, you know, they have... They have sort of seasonal vegetables. I think there's just a lot more rhythm. They have bread always with their meal. They have fruit at the end. You know, I think there's a lot more rhythm and habits um, here that are sort of ingrained. It was very interesting looking at pasta pairings, um, you know, because, of course, there's a lot of, you know, you must pair this shape with that with that sauce and of course which is it's hilarious because you know someone will tell you something you must put this shape with that sauce and then someone then the next day someone will tell you the exact opposite oh no um i mean there's a a great example is in rome they have cacio e pepe which is the sort of cheese and pepper and i suppose one of the the sort of traditional shapes is um is a tonnarelli which is a bit like fat square spaghetti spaghetti alla catara and that's the shape but then the next person will say we'll serve it with spaghetti and then someone else will serve it with bucatini and then someone else will, <laughs> will serve it with rigatoni someone else will serve it with gnocchi and then someone else will put it in ravioli so actually the sort of canonical shape turns out to be quite a lot of shapes <laughs> um but i realized that so much of it is about sort of habit you know habit that also a lot of traditional pasta dishes you know they were sort of born together so they they sort of were made together because they grew near each other and then you know a habit became a a deeply ingrained habit and then it became a tradition and then that that's just the way it is so i I think that's what it is it's it's the way it is i mean actually that you take away a lot of the thought process you don't need to think about what you're going to have for dinner because it's so natural to do it you put those pairings together because that's what you've always done that's what your mother did that's what your grandmother did and and so it's i think it's taking the thought out of it the anxiety out of it but that takes generations let's go through your Mm. food moments um you're going through the a to z of pasta shapes you give us an enormous amount of information about pasta but you bring your own memories to it so for example the alphabeto in broth broth is the first recipe in the book it, it's about your early memories of chicken soup tell tell us about the alphabeto well i mean that sort of i didn't have alphabeto um in little the little pastina i mean they really are tiny alphabeto they're, they're sort of part of the pastina all those very small shapes i didn't actually i had alphabeti in a tin which i come to later <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah but that's sort of it's very it was the first shape and it's the you know it the, it's lovely it's very traditional it's one of the first dishes given to children so it's just it's a chicken broth and so i you know as children grew up growing up we had lots and lots of chicken soup made by mum it was a great favorite so it was a sort of lovely again sort of trying to find things in common um you know the sort of similarities rather than differences so i love that and i do love 
pastina in Brodo. There's, you know, I love, you know, the, um, you can break pasta into lots of families, but, you know, there's the sort of minestra, the pasta you eat with a spoon because it's brothy, and pasta asciutta, dry pasta, the one you eat with a fork. And those minestra, those brothy minestras are some of my favourite. And yeah, they, do, they do really tune into um, a chicken soup, which we ate lot, we ate all the time growing up. Um, I mean, it is, it's just, I mean, I love it. I, I still, I mean, I still love it. It's my absolute sort of, it's, it's one of my great, I think like a lot of us, great comfort foods, chicken soup. Yeah, and, and a lot of cultures say that as well. But if you've never mm. had chicken soup when you're ill, given to you by your mum, you will never associate chicken <laughs> soup with with comfort food will you it is as simple as that and i think that's going back to that routine that not thinking about it that just the natural relationship between thing that happens in your life and food that goes with it um yeah. it, it, it's so interesting it's so interesting i just did sorry interrupting you then because it's so i sort of i feel like we could talk about this forever it was interesting what you were saying about you know the sort of habits because actually i think that you know we because italians ha- have so much are so clear about these habits and these rituals and so proud of them and so de- quite rightly proud and and I would say and I don't want to speak for all English people I'll speak for myself but I think the English people we're so we're, we're often the opposite mm. but actually it's quite strange we we have just as much reason to be to be proud. it's funny only in these last few years you know when I first came to Italy I used to be quite sort of ashamed of telling people I was English around the food and I was so used to this sort of barrage of sort of silly things that people would say about English food some with sort of reason but also not with good reason you know I had lovely things mm. growing up and and for me you know homemade chicken soup but sort of fish finger and peas mm. is just as important and just as valid and just as comforting yeah. and just as much of a favorite here in Italy you know fr- frozen peas rule um you know so actually I, it is about our own isn't it our own sense of confidence in our own food and I certainly haven't had the confidence that certainly my Italian friends would show yeah. um around it so it, it's it, it, that's a sort of interesting yeah Anyway, uh, I, I think it is the ritual is key. I really do. I think it's taking the, th- the thought out of it and putting the love in. In fact, you make a, a comment about the food writing advice you give, knowing when to write from your head and when to write from your stomach. And I think it's that. There's something there. The, the head is the observation, the taking yourself out of it a little bit to be able to give it form and, and, and substance. But the, the stomach is the the gut feeling isn't it and i think that ritual that we're talking about is all about your stomach yeah and i mean you, and, and yeah and, and and hunger and wanting you know we and that's why we have i mean i read lots in english and i read lots of in italian but i mean you know that's why i'm thinking of people like you know nigel slater or or simon hopkinson or ruby tando or you know rebecca may johnson or or sort of mira you know these people who nigella laws you know i mean all all these wonderful english writers who so, are so able to write about the that sort of primitive appetite and hunger and longing and i'm making it sound much more wanky than they do but you know really it's really wonderful i mean we have su- you know we have such brilliant food writing in england and and i think you're absolutely right and i love like you do to to read about food i just you know i spent my teenage years absolutely immersed in food writing as did you um but the, the your macaroni cheese again early memories of family food yeah um, yes but bringing your new world together with that, it, it, tell us about your macaroni cheese. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that, a macaroni was was a, is an interesting shape to was to look at sort of historically. Again, I, you know, I didn't, you know, 
it, it, I try and touch on the sort of scholarly aspects of pasta, but you know, it's it, macaroni is really important because it was a sort of it was one of the early shapes, um, and macaroni was many things. Um, uh, I mean, I always knew it growing up as the sort of small, slightly curved tubes in cheese sauce, macaroni cheese, which is also, you know, is, you know, is also a dish here, although it might be made with another shape. Um, as I say, in the South, macaroni is, is the name for many, many um, shapes. It was the sort of generic name for pasta, along with vermicelli, along with gnocchi. So it was a nice chapter to sort of look at these big histories and then look at sort of remembering my childhood, um, Again, um, you know, again, being sort of slightly embarrassed when I got to Italy that the only pasta shapes I really knew were spaghetti macaroni, you know, spaghetti hoops and alfabetti and farfalle and all these. But actually, it's a it's a love shape here. Um, And um, and in the in the south. So Vincenzo's family, even though the macaroni, they might say macaroni, but they could well be using rigatoni or 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 sort of mezzamanica or another sort of tubular shape and then baked into a, a sort of big jumbly huge messy um you know pasta al forno and i love all i mean i love those recipes because they're so um sort of accommodating Uh, you know you can sort of put anything in them and i think one of the recipes i've got macaroni cheese or macaroni al gratin in in italy so with bechamel and whatever cheese you want but then also there's a nice recipe for a sort of very southern italian um big baked pasta so tomato and aubergine and meatballs and if you want to go really sicilian you know hard boiled eggs peas (laughs) paper clips you know i mean it's really it's a great big one of these big messy um sort of you know generous dishes that I like so that was a nice chapter to write you know I feel I you know 500 words about this big history and then this little contained dish yeah absolutely lovely and because that's what it all comes down to you can write and write and write about the ingredients but ultimately you've got to sit down and eat them and share them with the family because that's what it's about. The maltagliati is your third food moment. This is based on leftovers. This is the waste mm. bits, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it is traditionally made in um, the sort of badly cut bits. So the sort of off cuts, the sort of scraps and that will be leftovers. Actually, now maltagliati is sort of also made intentionally. But yes, it's the sort of badly cut scraps of traditionally egg and flour pasta or flour and water pasta that then would be um, that then would be either used fresh or dried. Um, very resourceful I think it is interesting again sort of touching on that idea of you know it, it's um Italians are very resourceful with cooking um, and they're very proud of being very resourceful again they sort of have a, a language for it this whole language of avanci and leftovers and resourcefulness I mean again not always wanting to sort of defend England but we do in England too we have just the most wonderful dishes for leftovers mm-hmm. um, but we just don't have the same language for it and we don't have the same pride around the language for it so where you know so it, it's sort of interesting and it was interesting to sort of look at you know I don't know where where sort of bread would be you know leftover bread would be you know used in a soup or baked into bread and butter pudding or you know sort of fried in a frying pan with egg um but yes the the the, around the pasta i love those shapes and i also um you know i I, um i approached pasta making in the book i'm a sort of enthusiastic amateur i didn't want it to be there's so many wonderful books about pasta and there's so many wonderful books about very skilled pasta making and there's the wonderful pasta grannies so I was very clear that I wanted it to be sort of a um that everyone wouldn't feel intimidated that it would just be a pretty sort of basic there'd be a basic recipe um to make these sheets that you could make many shapes from and that the most fun would be the sort of scraggy leftover bits that you would put in a thick chickpea yeah. soup well I love the fact that you said that you felt intimidated about making pasta yourself that as a child your mother used to just let you play with flour and water and you used to play with it like 
Plasticine. But you didn't then touch pasta for a very long time because you felt that it was, there was, it was a little bit beyond you. And I have to say I share that. Yeah, I did. I did. And, but actually, that was the other thing. And I loved Juliet for that. You know, my publisher, we, we were very keen that we didn't divide the book into fresh and dried and, you know, and make your own pasta and buy your pasta. And, and um, it was just the shapes. Because, of course, they're also into, into sort of into sort of connected anyway. I mean, so many, everything starts off fresh and lots of dried shapes are fresh and you can buy most shapes. And I love the idea that, you know, what do you fancy? Do you want to make your lasagna? Great. Do you want to buy your lasagna? Great. It was all just the same. There was no sort of value judgment on all these wonderful things. But um, yeah, and I mean, making pasta, I, I have, I do really enjoy it. I don't do it that often because some people say, oh, you can sort of, I mean, I can make ravioli pretty quickly. I never, <laughs> I never find... I'd rather have a bit of toast. You know, it's, it is sort of a big mess in the kitchen, but I sometimes like that. And I say I have overcome, and I, and I think I'm sort of pleased, thanks to friends, about the sort of recipes, how they've worked out. I hope it does um, help encourage people to remember that it is just what we did when we were kids. You know, it's a mountain of flour, make it into a volcano, four eggs in the middle, get it into a ball doesn't matter how you do it like whatever works need it again whatever works it starts off scraggy it ends up feeling like a baby's bottom roll it out however works you know i think you know that's the sort of that, rip it into whatever shape you want you know i hope that that's the sort of spirit of the book yes absolutely <laughs> that is so liberating um your final food moment is the vermicelli alla vongole your favorite uh both in life and in the book you say um it's probably one of the most popular um of italian recipes um alla vongole, i would say um why for you you write about it so beautifully it's a shared love dish isn't it it was a uh, i mean it's so delicious um um it, of course i put it with vermicelli because um because that was a good way to write about the vermicelli very important shape um again sort of one of the um, a pasta in, for example spaghetti is such a late word I mean vermicelli was the pasta wakers were the vermicellari so it was a nice opportunity to write about that shape and then just that um, you know that delicious combination makes me think of summer holidays makes me think of you know th- th- there's a nice local restaurant in Virginia where we go and we fried fish and then spaghetti alla vongole on the beach with sort of sandy feet and you know licking our arms because they taste salty <laughs> it makes me think of that but also at home yes I do like it and I think it's and I, and I and again, I want I want this to be a sort of book, you know, I, I want this to be a book about sort of shared, a shared love. I know that, you know, for a lot of people, it's a favourite pasta dish. So it was a sort of, that feels like a nice thing too. I mean, I, I, it is my favourite. Um, it's my favourite, I think. Favourite of many favourites, I'll say. It's, it's interesting though. It, the way you describe it feels like you're very, very much embedded. You are now, you know, almost Italian. Vermicelli, as you just mentioned very briefly, is was the original. It's a very, very old Italian pasta and spaghetti, not so. Um, and perhaps spaghetti alla vongole is what we would necessarily um, associate with, with the dish. Choosing vermicelli feels like you're choosing the deeper, the older, the, the original. Was that even slightly deliberate? Well, actually, that's a really good point. And actually, I'm aware of that. And I wasn't trying to be sort of clever. I mean, it was obviously the book was about matching recipes to um, to shapes. And there was a certain amount of jigging around because, you know, and there was a little bit of sort of shoehorning things. I wanted to find groups. I mean, we decided that spaghetti would be all tomato. Um, and um, and so and but also so it wasn't trying to be sort of 
clever. I say vermicelli is the really the sort of it, it, the the sort of evolving of of the sort of dried pasta strings, which began in Sicily with the Arabs. It really was, you know, the Arabs and that sort of fascinating history. And then it sort of moved up with the sort of merchant ships. And you know, Genova and Naples were very important centres of of pasta making. And you know, vermicelli, little worms, um, these strings of pasta. Um, there were various words, but it was it was a. So I sort of chose it. I chose it because we needed to put. I mean, actually, I've put vongole and clams and puttanesca um, in with vermicelli. So it wasn't trying to be clever. I mean, obviously, it was a good way to highlight the importance of vermicelli as a shape. I mean, vermicelli was spaghetti. You know, they're, they're, um, now they've become sort of different shapes. So, um, but that was a bit of sort of shoehorning. And I wanted to sort of... Um, there's a really beautiful church near us um, um, called Santa Maria del Orto, and in it is the chapel of the vermicellari, and from the 1600s, and that was the sort of guild of the pasta makers. So I got to write about that church, um, you know, and the sort of importance of the word, uh, the, the word as the these, the pasta makers, sort of historically. Yeah. Um, I hope people don't feel I've sort of, sh- you know, I'm sort of forcing the history. I hope it sits comfortably in the book. I was aware that some bits felt a bit uncomfortable. Oh, no, you know? no, not at all. But for me, it feels like a beautiful end to, to the book. It feels like a, a real sort of circular movement to kind of coming back to where it all started from and very deeply very deeply present in Italy. Um, and and it's interesting that you just mentioned about that lovely church. You do all sorts of wonderful things in Rome. You you give guided tours with a with a historian. You you teach food writing. You I mean I loved just tell me about the market table feasting that you do in Testaccio. Oh that's lovely. Yeah that's which I'm missing hugely. It's sort of nice you've mentioned that because we can mention Carla Tomassi. So a really a, one of my teachers is um, Carla, who meeting Carla was, along with my Australian friend Alice, was an important day because Carla, you know, is a wonderful Roman cook and chef who spent many years in London. So when I first met Carla, Carla didn't want to talk about ravioli. Carla wants to talk about sort of, you know, the Arg Mary Berry and uh, <laughs> where to get the best pita bread. You know, she's truly a, she's sort of so undogmatic about, about you know, she just loves food and, and you know, we, this sort of big, expansive love of food, enthusiastic, funny, irreverent. So we, we became friends and she was sort of, she was, became a sort of great guide. And then, yeah, and then we began doing these occasional um, cooking lessons together, which was just it was such a it was such a um a, you know we'd have small groups and we would go to the market and then we'd all cook together um and uh, it was a lovely opportunity to sort of work and then work with Carla you know for her to be you know for her to be working with her and then it seemed like sort of bringing the recipes that I was writing about to life um in a so that was really good fun and very rewarding and um and uh you know th- th- companionable and great for my writing actually I miss it a lot because it was um it was a sort of lovely dimension I don't think I, I wouldn't have written the pasta book were it not for Carla because she um you know she we really put the also we just got to make things a lot yeah you know you, I got to make things again and again and again so and that's really thanks to her and she sort of gave me the confidence um she fresh pasta um, I think you'd like Carla. Yeah, she's a, she's she's wonderful. She's really wonderful. Um, Will you do and, that uh, again when when you can? Yeah, that will. Yes, I hope we do. Ro- Rome's opening up again. I yeah. mean, it, it's um, we can travel again. God, I mean, I can't wait. I, I mean, I miss the I miss England. It, it sort of hurts. <laughs> I really, when were you last I have, here? 
a year and like last March. Well, I mean, we none of us have moved. Um, we're yeah. all imagining where we would like to go. I stopped flying two years ago, um, so my thing is to get on a train and and explore Europe properly, taking the time and to really immerse myself. So I'm fascinated by your market table, but also your food and architecture tours. And I think that that's the kind of deeper experience, the real connection that I hope that people will want when they get out of Britain again. What's life really all about? Tell us about the food and architecture tours. So similar, it, so that's with Agnes Crawford, who's an, agri, um, an architectural historian. And similar, I mean, we sort of, you know, our work, our work sort of intersected. I would often ask Agnes for sort of advice, along with lots of other people um, as well. Uh, so she would, and, um, and so, yes, sort of fans of each other's work. And I say she was a, she was a great sort of, she's knowledgeable and, um, and, 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 and fun. And so the sort of our conversations that would be helping me with an article for a newspaper sort of evolved into these, these tours, which have been interesting because we've done them on Zoom. And of course, that's been quite a sort of interesting dimension, hasn't yeah, it? How Zoom has been an interesting, you know, in fact, my mum and dad did one of our walking tours and, you know, they're, they're at home with a sort of glass of, you know, of like, you know, something nice to drink. And they were saying, you know, Agnes is like the sort of David Attenborough sort of, you know, because of course Agnes is on Zoom. She's a very good tour guide. I always feel a little bit like her comedy sidekick sort of intersecting about olives. But she, you know, of course the Zoom has a slightly fisheye sort of perspective. So actually you're almost closer than you, than you would be even if you're with Agnes. That's not to say that, you know, that the sort of, the sort of, you know, that we don't, people want to come back. But I suppose also for maybe for, for, for much older um, people who are wondering how and when they'll travel that actually the idea of that sort of I don't want to say armchair travel because that sounds so sort of doesn't sound very nice and I think the idea you know I think what we can do on zoom is sort of is wonderful isn't it, it I think it, you can get closer on zoom in many ways you can get you, you you're in my home and I'm in your home I'm exactly I mean, I was gonna say that now yeah I think that's really quite wonderful and I think that'll open up a lot of opportunities for people, um, as you say, who, who might not necessarily want to put up with the, the heat of Rome, but be fascinated by the history and the stories and, and relive their 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 trips to, to Rome in the past. Um, are those still available? Can, can people join you? I'd love to join yeah. you. Yes, they do. Actually, we've done some food ones. Yes, they are. And they're, and they will, and they're, 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 they're still sort of on Zoom. They're quite occasional. I don't do, you know, that many tours because you know there's so many wonderful tour guides doing great things but yes they are and then we will hopefully make those live again that the new thing is that we've decided we the walks are sort of ingredient centric again that idea that we were saying before you know that if you focus on one thing if you focus on you know i don't know salt you know it's like i've got a friend of mine who comes to rome often and he always sort of comes to look at one artist or or sort of like or or go to the cinema was his favorite year you know he just came and he his main objective was going to seeing films in different italian cinemas or you know and and actually it's sort of isn't it it's having a focus so you sort of get this nice percent by focusing on one detail you get then this sort of lovely big picture so we do that with um with ingredients um and and if people do want to find out about it they go to rachel eats yes yes i'm saying that very confidently being (laughs) being updated being updated but you know it is um but yes for now on zoom it is amazing i mean it there's there's something very intimate about it you've been immersed in this world for a long time but 
podcasts. It's been, they've sort of, they're just thriving. It feels just the most wonderful medium. It is an absolutely fantastic opportunity. I mean, I've been all over the world uh, in the last year and a half while sitting in this orange chair. And I have been treated to so many wonderful experiences. You know, Bill Buford's extraordinary immersive experience learning to be a French cook in Lyon. Dan Barber in upstate New York. I mean, yeah, I can go anywhere. You in Italy yeah. on a on a Monday morning. How glorious is that? It it is riches. Yeah. And like you say, intimate. It is it was interesting. I think my mum and dad again that sort of summed it up the fact that they very much with the, it's the same about the proximity mm. of the voice, mm. I think, mm. and the eyes. So yes, I think I think we live I feel as if it's it's another dimension. Yeah. Um which I really like and I hope that it feels enriching and that we can have sort of more dimensions, which only feels a good thing. Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up to the newsletter to keep up with all my news. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week when we're on the towpath, a magical look at life on London's Regent Canal with Laurie Damori and Laura Jackson. Thank you.